0: Uh, hi, this is Big Daddy Cha Cha, and um, today in this episode we're going to be talking about many things. A lot about American politics and the developments uh, in the in the campaign since the uh, since the respective conventions of the Democratic and Republican primaries. But I should also warn you that we also, the the subject of the movie The Purge will come up, and there will be spoilers for the movie The Purge. So if you have not watched The Purge, or perhaps its sequels, The Purge Anarchy, or The Purge Election Night, then uh, you may want to uh, stop listening at the time we start talking about The Purge. You have been warned.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. rob burgess show i am of course your host rob burgess on this our 29th episode our returning guest is jonathan fowler but before we get to that i need to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor for you the listeners of the rob burgess show podcast audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service The book which pertains to this episode is Trump Revealed, An American Journey of Ambition, Ego, Money, and Power by Michael Cranish and Mark Fisher. Whatever book you pick, you can exchange it at any time, you can cancel at any time, and the books are yours to keep. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash Show for your free audiobook. Please consider supporting those who support the show like Audible. You'll be helping me out, and it won't cost you a thing. Another totally free way you can help the show is to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available. Whether it's iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, TuneIn, or RSS, you can find links to everything on the official website, www.therockburgessshow.com. You can also find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Back to today's show. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, and 21 of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a B.A. in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over nine years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now, on to the show. Hello. Hey, Joe ja.
0: Hey, Bob, how are you? Oh,
1: I'm great, man. How are
0: you? Oh, doing all right, yeah. Just got off a... Of- week-long vacation basically and back to work today so yeah otherwise doing okay
1: cool well uh thanks for uh thanks for doing this man uh you know last time we talked we said we had to do some debate coverage
0: yeah and those are coming up soon.
1: Yeah. But just so much has happened. It's funny because when we said we were gonna talk and then you were like, What are we gonna talk about? And I'm you were like, just so much has happened and it's like every day feels like a year <laughs> It's just like everything uh, happens at once and there's so many things that happen you can't even keep track of it, so
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh yeah, this election it it just feels like it's kind of gone through so many phases and stuff. And uh yeah, everything is kind of speeding up here as we're getting closer. And of course, Donald Trump, you know, pretty much dominates the news every couple of days. Although Hillary has been in the news, not for anything very good lately. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of hard to to follow trends or to you know to you know to set down a simple narrative and stuff for what's going on. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. Well, what do
1: you want to talk about first? We can talk about anything. We don't have to talk about that.
0: Well, I mean, um, yeah, I guess we did talk about uh, possibly starting with health. Yeah. Candidate's health, which has been an issue lately, uh, with Hillary especially, although <laughs> Donald's, I mean, I, I don't know, I think it's frustrating because obviously Donald Trump is probably nowhere nearly as, near as healthy as he's pretending, and his doctor, who looks like a total crackpot, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just uh, it's amazing that his, he was able to get away with that the the goofy health letter from his, from his doctor. Um, I forget the guy's name, but just looking like a goofy guy.
1: I think, uh, I, I think, uh, really the visual, the, the visual of that guy is a very key part of understanding that story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's like the, the medical yeah, qualifications probably not there. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's all kind of making a mockery of running for president though, because I mean, you know, for my for my job, I mean, this month, I need to go to the hospital and do a medical checkup and everything for my job, which, you know, we have to do every year or every couple of years at least over here in Korea. And I'm a little stressed out. I mean, my blood pressure is probably a little bit higher than it was, but when I first came to Korea, uh, you know, living overseas can be stressful at times, and, you know, the job is stressful sometimes, but, but the, I mean, the fact is I have to do a medical check, and, you know, uh, you know, the results matter or whatever, you know, I can't have the job without it. And so for, like, for these, for presidential candidates to produce a health check that's basically a doctor's note that it sounds like Donald Trump himself wrote, I mean, that's a joke, you know? I mean, you're, you're applying for the most important job in the land, and you're turning in a medical thing that, yeah, it, you know, it's just a total joke. It's like, do you actually have to... Same thing with the the tax things, you know, providing the tax stuff. I mean, okay, so maybe it's not you don't. It's not required that you produce your tax forms and stuff. It's not legally required, but it's you know it's a longstanding tradition. And you know, this is the most important job in America. And so, what are the actual qualifications? I mean, I know you've got to be over thirty five years old. Uh, what do they say? Do they say a, a natural-born U.S. citizen, or is that? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, the, it's I mean,
1: it's never really been decided by the Supreme Court what exactly that means. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit open to interpretation. For example, John McCain is born in the Panama Zone, which at the time was under U.S. control. Um, Ted Cruz is born in Canada, but yet, and still, one of his parents is American, so therefore his mother, I think. So therefore, he is an American. Yeah, actually,
0: I had, I had, and I mean, that brings us to birtherism, which has obviously been in the news this past week, and, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, Donald Trump may have actually had a point on the birtherism with Ted Cruz, because there was some, I mean, I remember around that time when they were talking about that, it must have been like six months or so ago now, um maybe longer. They were saying that Ted Cruz's mother, well, she married a, a Cuban immigrant to Canada, and she and her husband were both registered to vote in Canada at the time that Ted Cruz was born. So if she was registered to vote in Canada, then that would have meant that she had renounced her American citizenship to get Canadian citizenship to be able to vote. So... But then it seemed like the news media just kind of dropped that story, and they're like, "No, no, no, yeah, he can still run, no problem." But it's like, "No, no, no, wait a minute, what was going on there? I mean, was she really registered to vote in Canada? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean if she if she was, you know?" Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I, I just uh, reiterate. I think it's like, I think they're totally making a mockery of the idea that you have to have qualifications for a job, or you. I mean, as far as. I mean, just in any any number of areas, you know, mm. with Hillary Clinton kind of lying about her health situation and saying, you know, you know, where she fainted trying to get, a, you know, she left the nine eleven 11 memorial service or whatever to get in the SUV with the Secret Service. And they're basically holding her up and she basically collapses getting into the van and stuff. And then she says she just got overheated and. Then I don't think she realized that there had been a cell phone video shot because she comes out an hour and a half later from her daughter's apartment there in New York, and she's, uh, you know, she's hugging kids and saying she feels great, it's a lovely day in New York City. And then, you know, the video comes out, and then two hours later they say, oh, it's pneumonia, we've known since Friday. Mm -hmm. And then they say, well, uh," and then they, I mean, they've said so many things. They said, like, um, what did they say? They said that there's been something going around, the Clinton headquarters or campaign headquarters, and was like, wait, what was that? Pneumonia's going around or something else is going around? Were you lying and trying to say that she just caught, a, like, a, a bug or something? Or And then, you know, there was the Bill Clinton interview where they, I forget which, uh, which network it was on, but they asked him about this, and he said, no, 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 we're not worried about it. You know, this happens constantly or happens all the time or something. And then he changed his answer and said, no, I mean, it happens a couple times. And they edited the part out where he had said before that it's happened continuously and regularly. Mm. So it's just like, I mean, you know, what is Hillary Clinton's actual health situation? I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Hillary, but I'm not saying that. Uh, again, I think the, this, the cover-up is worse than the, whatever the crime is, as far as, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the health situation is. I think the cover-up is much worse mm-hmm. and much more damaging. So mm-hmm. any, any thoughts about the health? A lot of thoughts about the health. Um,
1: although, here's the thing. You know, I think we should just assume that the, the president just could die at any time. And... For that very reason, it does matter who the vice president is, and that's why we have upcoming up, actually, a vice presidential debate, Um, because, as we all remember, when it was found out very quickly that Sarah Palin didn't know anything, it was very worrying because John McCain is a skin cancer survivor, a former prisoner of war, um, who was 72 years old in 2008. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's a very real possibility that it, one heartbeat away, President Sarah Palin happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is a concern. And I, I don't know, I'm not very excited about the vice presidential debate, I would say. I mean, Tim Kaine and uh, uh, Pence, Mike Pence, is not <laughs> you know, not very inspirational. <laughs> not this year, no. So but yeah again i don't know it's um yeah i guess i think we should yeah be prepared for our president's mortality and so forth but uh i don't i don't know i mean i guess there's that question that american people have a right to know you know i don't know mm-hmm. i mean i think i think there's a lot of jobs where they have some they have a, they have a need or a desire to know about your health before they hire you you know if you're mm-hmm. on the you know the company health care plan or whatever they, you know, pre-existing conditions. I, I don't know. I haven't been in America since all the uh, the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act went into effect. Really, but um, mm. I don't know how that all works anymore. But you know, the, I mean, there are jobs where you know certain health uh, conditions can preclude you from getting the job, and so you know, if if they're serious about you know your health affects your job possibility. I mean. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of torn because I do think, like, the American people have a right to know. But on the other hand, I think, like, the American people are not, uh, I don't know, wise enough or nonpartisan enough to deal with the information even if they do know. hmm I mean, who was the president in the 1930s or, or 1940s who was confined to a wheel—was that Roosevelt who was in a wheelchair? FDR, yes. Had polio, nobody— mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody
1: knew about it. I well, mean, people knew you know, in like okay. people knew, and and just by code of whatever didn't say anything. Hmm. Okay. It was the same thing with yeah, John F. Kennedy's uh, philandering. All the all the pool reporters mm-hmm. around John F. Kennedy knew what was going on, but there was like a gentleman's agreement or whatever that they wouldn't report that. Of course, now today that would never happen, but
0: Yeah. Well, I, I I you know, it's kind of interesting to think like what would the American people have done if they had known about those things back then? Mm-hmm. Um, what would their political opponents have done when they tried to make hay out of that or not mm-hmm. um, if they had known? And you know, it's it's like almost a different culture and a different society to go back there.
1: Mhm. But um although side note, did you see what Colin Powell said about Bill Clinton?
0: <laughs> um, he's still banging bimbos or whatever in his house. I guess he at least he didn't say schlonging, right? That's Donald Trump's word for it. Is it? So, um <laughs> well he he said certain female candidates got schlonged when they didn't get or something, so <laughs> That was, you know, again, it's so hard to keep up with all the ridiculous things he says. That one's kind of fallen by the wayside. But That is yeah. something that he said. I've noticed
1: when you type Donald, Donald Trump's Donald uh, name into Google, it, you know, when it has that little bio box that pops up if you type in a prominent person's name in, into Google. Um, one of the first things that it lists there in the description is comedian. Oh, really? Would you consider him a
0: comedian? They're like, un. Well, I think he's an unintentional comedian, or either that or he's, you know.
1: But that's always um, his defense, very, is that he's making he's making a joke. You know what I mean? If it goes badly, so, like when he repeatedly suggests people, like, basically shoot Hillary Clinton, when he's like, the Second Amendment people, come on, what? can we, can we do something here?
2: Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish, the Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick... If she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. But, but I'll tell you what, that will be a horrible day. Now, you know she's very much against the Second Amendment. She wants to destroy your Second Amendment. Guns, 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 right? I think what we should do is she goes around with armed bodyguards like you have never seen before. I think that her bodyguards should drop all weapons. They should disarm, right? Right? I think they should disarm immediately. What do you think? Yes? Yes. Yeah. Take their guns away. She doesn't want guns. Take their — let's see what happens to her. Take their guns away, okay? It'd be very dangerous.
1: You know, and then yeah, he's like, oh, I just well, joshing. I'm a
0: comedian. Yeah, well, his, uh, yeah, yeah, we just don't have enough sense of humor for it, but <laughs> he, uh, yeah, kind of like, I mean, he's, he's a comedian, kind of like his hand gestures or his exercise, right? How do you stay healthy on a campaign trail?
2: Well, it's a lot of work. You know, when I'm speaking in front of 15 and 20,000 people and I'm up there using a lot of motion... Uh, I guess in its own way, it's a uh, it's a pretty healthy act, and uh, I really enjoy doing it. A lot of times, these rooms are very hot, like saunas, mm-hmm. and I guess that's a form of exercise. And you know,
0: oh, yeah. uh, okay, maybe yeah. I guess. If you really, really, really stretch the definition of exercise, and or comedian, the the batteries
1: just ran out in my recorder. I had to switch them out real quick. So, um, oh. The, the other recording is probably fine. I think it saves it before it dies. But if uh, if you want to just explain that we're talking about when he was in Mexico, oh yeah,
0: yeah. Well, well, Donald Trump's speech when he when he right after he came back from his meeting with the president of Mexico, um, and he you know he avoided he had avoided talking about the uh, building the wall, or he had mentioned the wall briefly with the Mexican president. The Mexican president said we're not paying for it he's like okay well, we'll talk about it later or something but he had the nice you know quote unquote presidential looking meeting the diplomatic looking meeting in Mexico and then he came back to Arizona immediately and gave a firebrand speech that was hitler-esque I would uh, say just extremely passionate hand gestures out the wazoo and he talked about you know how oh, we're going to build the wall they don't know it yet but we're going to build it they're going to pay for it Um he talks about the cyber how we're going to detect uh people with cyber and he talked about how you know the uh, our detection methods are going to go above and below the wall under the wall and he did his hand gesture like a snake kind of waving under underground
2: we will build a great wall along the southern border Mexico will pay for the wall. 100%. They don't know it yet, but they're going to pay for the wall. And they're great people and great leaders, but they're going to pay for the wall. On day one, we will begin working on an impenetrable, physical, tall, powerful, beautiful southern border wall. We will use the best technology, including above and below ground sensors. That's the tunnels. Remember that, above and below. above and below ground sensors, Towers, aerial surveillance, and manpower to supplement the wall, find and dislocate tunnels, and keep out criminal cartels. And Mexico, you know that, will work with us. I really believe it. Mexico will work with us. I absolutely believe it. And especially after meeting with their wonderful, wonderful president today, I really believe they want to solve this problem along with us, and I'm sure they will.
0: I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that was, I, I to. I meant to go back and rewatch that speech because it was quite a, it was a heck of a speech. <laughs> it
1: was the greatest speech. The
0: best. Everybody says so.
1: I'm hearing things.
0: Okay. <laughs> I think the danger is we're all going to start speaking like this guy now.
1: I, but, I, I think it's already happening. Certain,
0: yeah, there, there's a certain terse efficiency to the way he describes things.
1: It's there's it's things not really efficient, things, though, because he's, he doesn't think of anything before he says it. So he really, he's really just constructing sentences out of thin air.
0: Um, yeah, well, that's, a good, that's what's efficient about it. You know, good things are good, wonderful. Marvelous, everybody says so, and then bad things are terrible, disaster, you know, <laughs> disgraceful. Um, I'm sure there's a few adjectives I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, the way he speaks. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, But the health, um, what did you make of the, the Clinton excuses and the situation? And, you know, there's even rumors that Democratic staffers were saying that, you know, high-level meetings were being held about the possibility of having to replace her and how, you know, probably if they're going to replace her, it's going to be either, you know, Tim Kaine or Joe Biden, which I think would be absolute disasters because, you know, they didn't run. They didn't get any votes. They haven't earned it. If it goes to anybody, it has to go to Bernie. right? Obviously. Obviously. So they they had better not try any more, you know, shady dealings where they choose who our candidate's going to be. Although, you know, as we learned in the primary, nothing should be put past them. hmm So, okay, so moving beyond health, I guess. Um, what else has been happening? I mean, Donald Trump renounced birtherism, right?
1: Did he? Sort of. Sort of? Kind of? Maybe just a little bit?
0: Well, not all the way. He said he said what everybody else knows, which is Obama was born in America. Period. Of course. And then he, you know, uh, so I don't think anybody's giving him too much credit for, you know, just coming out and saying what we all know. Mm hmm. But, uh,
1: but speaking of documents that, uh, we all want released, we all want to, uh, Trump's tax returns basically, because I think it's going to prove a lot of things that we know to probably be true about him. Um, he doesn't have as much money as he says he does. He, uh, he's probably definitely almost certainly in bed with Russia and we already know that, but I feel like he's financing a lot of his debt with Russia. Like when no one else will deal with him, you know what I mean? Like investors in his projects.
0: Yeah. He probably doesn't pay very many taxes at all.
1: Probably doesn't pay many taxes. Yeah, probably, probably donates zero dollars a year to charity, uh, despite the claims yeah, of...
0: It's been coming out, yeah.
1: Have you seen the uh, reporting of the Washington Post reporter David Farenthold, I believe that's how you say his name?
0: Um, what, what did it pertain to?
1: His charitable giving, or lack thereof. Um, basically he went,
0: I I think I've heard summaries of that. He,
1: um, he basically just went through and found every single thing ever associated with Donald Trump that he either said he'd give money to, or was, he was, appeared at an event even, just spoke in front of a group, any, any of them. Mm -hmm. He just made a list of like 250 of all the ones he could find, and one of the only one he could find was a five thousand dollar donation to a local police union, and it might have been a bookkeeping error.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, he, I mean, and he he counts it when he hosts like mm-hmm. when he hosts a charitable event at like his Mar-a-Lago property or whatever down in Florida, right? But
1: people give they, through they, the they Trump Foundation, not him. He doesn't. He's not the one giving the money. And you know, it's not, there's not. It's not for nothing that he does that. It's like, yes, he plays a role in getting this money, but it's not him giving the money.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's. Uh, it's. It seems like. I mean. Yeah, his whole his whole image that he has cultivated, which has allowed him to be popular, probably a lot of those things would get torn down in a in a, in a tax release from him. And uh-huh. uh, and um, you know, he says he can't do it because his lawyers told him not to because he's being um, he's being uh, what is it audited? The IRS is auditing him. But um, somebody pointed out, I forget who it was, the last word was Chris O'Donnell or somebody like that. I forget who it was exactly. Somebody on MSNBC, um, I think, said, he, he said that actually the IRS is not able to comment on or confirm or deny whether they're auditing anybody. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like that situation where he attacked that judge. that was Judge Curiel or something like that, but the guy, the Hoosier judge, who was of Mexican descent, which... Donald Trump said disqualify him from, you know, judging Trump's case mm-hmm. uh, fairly because, you know, he's from Mexico. I'm building a wall. You get it? I'm building a wall. So he, he's from Mexico. You see? <laughs> so he can't judge me fairly. Like the similar thing, he attacked the judge and the judge is not able to fight back or comment because that would like that would ruin the case and everything. Mm-hmm. And the similar thing is that he says he's being audited by the IRS. and The IRS can't say whether or not that's true. And so some people have called for him to release a note. He would have to, I mean, the IRS would send you a note, apparently, if they were auditing you, that would announce the audit. And they said there's no information about the money and stuff, anything in there like that. So, But if he could just produce that note that proves that he's being audited, then that would that would go a long way to backing up his claims that, you know, even then, you know, the IRS says there's no reason for you to not release your returns when you're being audited, but even the you know the flimsy the flimsy defense that he's put up would be either substantiated a little bit or totally torn down if he if he was if he had to prove that he was actually being audited mm-hmm. so, but it it is true I think a lot of journalists and you know if I were a reporter and he said he was being audited i mean he's he seems like a guy with money and you know lawsuits and things going on and all kinds of shady stuff so i would i like most journalists, I think I would just take him at his word that he is being audited but I think that that's even an open question, really. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he definitely could release it. I don't think that's really up for debate. He chooses not yeah,
0: to. I, I don't think most people have asked him to, though. It's true. Um, to release the proof, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what else is going on with him? Man, just, uh, he's he's hired, I mean, uh, what's her name? Kellyanne Pearson or something, his spokesperson? Conway. Oh, yeah. uh, Killian Conway. Who's the Pearson
1: woman? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I know who you're talking I about. Should, I, I think.
0: Her. But uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I think she was on one of his shows at some point, like Apprentice or Celebrity Apprentice or something. <laughs> and now she's her. Now she's the campaign spokeswoman, basically, and she goes on TV and lies and lies and lies and lies, and, lies mm-hmm. and uh, just I don't know, totally crazy. But yeah, Kellyanne Conway is also, um, seems to have, she's a professional, (laughs) you know. You can't say she's not a total professional when she gets on TV or does an interview and she is very, very good at putting everything in the best possible light for him or, you know, turning any topic back to Hillary or anything like that. So she's she's (laughs) pretty good at what she does. It's unfortunate that she's being used in this capacity to help him. Letting herself be used. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of money in it and so forth. But um, I saw be. her on real time with Bill Maher the other day, and they they talked for a good several minutes. Apparently, they've known each other for 20 years, and so he was trying to get her to flip up and admit that this guy's a joke. But mm-hmm. She, you know, she never let the facade drop. So <laughs> yeah, I saw that uh, interview,
1: or I heard the interview as well.
3: First up, she is president and CEO of the polling company and campaign manager for you-know-who, Mr. Donald Trump. We thank her for being here. Kellyanne Conway is joining us by satellite. Hey. Hey, Phil. Kellyanne, first of all, I have to thank you. You have been doing our show for over 20 years. You are one of our original blonde conservatives, along with Ann Coulter, who's still a friend of mine, to the consternation of many. Uh, but you did not give up on us now that you have become Donald Trump's campaign manager. You stuck it out, and I thank you for being here.
4: I'm happy to go into
3: And I must have, I say I have mixed emotions. First of all, you are enabling pure evil. But
4: <laughs> Come on, Bill. <laughs> on the other hand,
3: I, I'm, I'm, like, so proud of you. I mean, you started here. You were just a child star on our show. And and now you're perhaps the most important person in the world, because you seem to be the only person who's been able to tame Donald Trump. Many have tried, but only you were able to pull that sword out of the stone. How did you do it?
4: Well, I don't see it that way. I think—look, I, I walk in the Trump Tower every day to the campaign, and I'm quickly reminded that Donald Trump did very well for himself long before I arrived. I just feel like every leader needs the right environment, the right players around them for them to be them, and he's out there showcasing his generosity, his, I think, his great sense of humor, his love of the country and of people, (laughs) and, you know, Bill, hold on. You're so Uh, good at what you do. (laughs) (laughs) As are you. That's it, you're So, so
3: good. I'm, well, I'm so I'm th- so verklempt that you
4: <laughs>
3: But plainly this you Catholic know Catholic
4: girl from Jersey knows what that means But no. look, I just want to tell you one thing That you and I have been talking For over two decades now Which is right. a real pleasure and a privilege Thank you for calling me your friend And for giving me a platform with all those swing voters In your audience tonight There are uh, I if get...
3: No, no, I, I mean was... there, are. there are There are
4: Okay, good, well, we're persuading no. them
3: We have Let's a much it... bigger audience than all the other stupid shows That the other politicians do <laughs>
4: And speaking of politicians, Bill, that's what I wanted to say to you. And I know,
3: I know, Donald Trump, because of you, is trying to reach those suburban people. That's our audience, and some of them are on the fence. And that's why I heard today Donald Trump encouraged you to do this show.
4: He did. I wanted to tell you that he said to say hello when he heard I was invited. He said you have to go on that show. (laughs) That is true. He did. And many politicians are afraid to go on your show, but you're not a politician.
3: You know, he sued me once.
4: He did? How'd that go?
3: Well, as soon as a judge saw it, of course, he laughed and threw it out of court.
4: Hey, Bill. I'll tell you who's not laughing, though. i got to tell you who's not laughing. I've been to these rallies. I've been to these fairs. This guy has really created a movement, and people feel like they're part of it. And I want to tell you, you and I have been talking for two decades about the problem with politicians. This guy's an outsider, a disruptor, a change maker, and he's not running for the reason many people run in politics, which is, it's my turn. I'm next in line. I want money, fame, status, power. He already had all of that. And he and his family are making tremendous sacrifices just to do this. And when I travel around with him, people don't stop him, Bill, and say, I liked you on The Apprentice, or I want your autograph. They say, we need jobs in this, in this state, or please save our country. I know you don't like that, but that's what the people say, and we have to respect people. Well, I'm sure I, they're watching tonight.
3: Well, I don't have to respect all the people. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, do. And I don't. No, I I don't have to respect all the people. I mean, Hillary was right when she's called a lot of his supporters deplorable because a lot of what they believe is deplorable. But we won't even get into that. But but I mean... I mean, wrong,
4: but I'm glad we saw her true feelings for once. She doesn't really give them... By the way, she said deplorable just about 12 hours after her campaign said she's going to become more uplifting and aspirational so the voters can see what's in her heart amidst all the cacophony and noise And what has she done ever since? She's been negative, negative, negative. The Democratic Party I grew up in was always very uplifting and aspirational. They elevated and elected people like JFK and Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Her message is anti-Trump. She doesn't have a positive message.
3: (laughs) If you were running against Donald Trump, your message would be anti-Trump, too. Um, And by the way, you say... At least she sticks to the facts in her anti-message. Donald Trump has said Hillary uh, will repeal the Second Amendment. Is that your understanding of what she has said in the past? He said she wants to release all uh, violent criminals from jail. She wants to release all of them. Is that when you've heard her say she wants to repeal the Second Amendment and release violent criminals?
4: She has actually said that she doesn't like the Heller decision, which was a Supreme Court decision that held that individuals have a private right to bear arms under the Second Amendment. She's pretty hostile to that. She actually has been very critical of President Obama, because she thinks he hasn't gone far enough on uh, open borders and he's been he's deported many people in this country so look bill you in one hour show you cover more issues and more substance You're than kidding. she covers in a month she doesn't talk about issues okay. when's the last time she gave All a right. speech on taxes on the middle right. class on education on health care she just doesn't do it
3: all right, I, I don't have time to go through all of his lies. We only have an hour. Uh, but let's...
4: I can bat them all down. Go. Let's do it. Come on. Come on, Bill.
3: <laughs> but let's just uh, divide it for the moment between the scary and the false. Now, let's, let's start with the scary. Uh, she, Hillary said at the end of her convention speech, uh, you, you can't trust a guy who can be baited with a tweet with nuclear weapons. Okay, just in the last couple of weeks, what he has said is, Iranian sailors have made obscene gestures at our boats so we should blow them out of the water, and that when the Chinese didn't provide the proper red carpet when Obama landed there, he would turn the plane around. Isn't she right? Is he really a man who has the temperament, honestly, Kellyanne, 20 years of friendship? (laughs) Is she really the person? Is he the person to be in the Oval Office?
4: Yes. And by the way, speaking of (laughs) Bated, he is occupying serious real estate in her head. I mean, who's been losing in the polls? Who seems very rattled and not very nimble off of her script these days? As you said in your monologue, what the heck happened? You said it a little bit differently, but I'll clean it up. What the heck happened? I mean, she had she had this in the bag. Every story was, look at the polls, the race is over. Look at the polls, the race is over. So let's do look at the polls now, four or five weeks later. We're winning in some of these swing states that Mitt Romney lost, where she was way ahead, because she thought she would just... It would just be a complete blowout that she just had to bide her time, sit on her lead, wait out the clock. She tried to do that against Bernie Sanders; he won 22 states. She tried to do it against Barack Obama in 2008, and he whooped her and he won. Christ. And so I think I actually think we're going to win, Bill. You know it. You feel it. I think you're getting nervous.
3: Oh, I am getting nervous, but it's not because Trump is good; it's because people are stupid. That's why I'm getting nervous. That's
4: something uh, you know really they- to say. That's I'll, I I'll
3: tell you why I'm getting nervous, and I'll do it with a Donald Trump quote from The Art of the Deal. He said, I play to people's fantasies. People want to believe that something is the biggest and the greatest and the most spectacular. I call it truthful hyperbole. I call it lying. Uh, here are some lies. I never, I don't know anything about David Duke utter lie. Uh, Vladimir Putin and I are best friends. He never met him. He got a letter from the NFL, which was proved never happened. He gave money to the veterans when he didn't. I was against the Iraq war when he plainly, it's on tape, said he was not. Uh, How do you answer to the fact that this man just says whatever he wants at the moment, in the moment, to get whatever point he wants across, regardless of the facts?
4: it's not true. You're cherry-picking certain things he said. And on the Iraq war, the timeline is very clear. Well, hold on. He was on Howard Stern's radio show as a private citizen and Stern asked him, so hey, should we invade Iraq? What do you think? And he said, well, I guess so. Hillary Clinton proudly went down into the well of the United States Senate and (laughs) cast her vote in favor of the Iraq war. And by the way, she's been a hawk for many years. The Wall Street Journal wrote about it just this week, that she's always been an interventionist. So the Democrats may not like that. I know you're stuck with a lemon here with 53 days to go, and we're surging. And I'm sorry for that, because she has never been somebody who recaptures the momentum. We saw her fall apart in 2008. We saw Bernie Sanders win 22 states and millions of voters just a couple of months ago, Bill. We see Gary Johnson and, in fact, Jill Stein taking votes away from her. She's just been—she's floundering at 42, 44 percent. The question is why, and the answer is very simple. A majority of americans Think that she doesn't tell the truth; she's not honest or trustworthy, and a majority don't quite like her. Where if she does win, she will make history, but not because of her gender only. But okay, but you're not, not her. Have never cam- elected a president that a majority of Americans felt was dishonest and untrustworthy.
3: Okay, but you're you're her camp. I mean, you're not her campaign manager. You're Donald no. Trump's campaign man.
4: I'm all for a female president, but not that one. I, I don't understand. Think it's a hypothetical. I understand. It's Hillary. But
3: also, I mean, you know, in the past, you've worked for people like Newt Gingrich, uh, Fred Thompson, Jack Kemp. I don't agree with a lot of what they say, but they're all serious. Mike Pence? Mike Pence. I was trying to keep that out of it.
4: a great vice president.
3: Uh, but, you know, these are all serious people. You don't see a difference between them and Donald Trump. I mean, you have... Many children. I mean, are, are you okay with what your children are going to be asking you about supporting a man, enabling a man who did things like make fun of the handicapped, and uh, said John McCain wasn't a war hero? Yeah. Uh,
4: John McCain has endorsed him, and he's endorsed him. What's that? They've endorsed John McCain and Donald Trump have endorsed each other in the race. They support each other in the races this year. So, but but in it, but look, I have no problem saying to my children. That I want the future to be better for them, and I already know what Hillary Clinton's going to do. She says it uh, well. I, I, you have to look at her website to know it, for God's sake. She doesn't even talk about the issues, and that I don't like. I don't. I can't support somebody who lies for a living. I'm not going uh, to be lies for a supporters. living. Yes, he does.
3: You He's just said you can't too. support somebody who lies for a living. When I read That's a right, list of provable lies. <laughs>
4: Ahead. Let's be uh, honest. I'm, I'm sorry. Is I'm, way ahead? I, I'm so- Where's the Democratic blue wall? Where's the electoral map? Wait a, wait a second. She's the one who has 66% of Americans saying she's not honest and she's not trustworthy. She has earned but, that. But that. that's what went people up believe. That's not her
3: what herself. is an actual no. lie they or not. They know she
4: deleted the emails. They know she doesn't tell the truth about her health condition. They know that she doesn't tell the truth. Where are the 33,000 deleted okay. emails? All right. Where are All the right. 17,000 All right, I'll let
3: you go. My, my last um, question. My last question, if Trump, if you guys win, look me in the eye through that camera (laughs) and tell me you will not actually be more nervous than if Hillary won.
4: I will not be more nervous if Hillary won. I think, no, I'm with I'm with tens of millions of people in this country, Bill, who have joined the Trump movement and have said you are our last hope because she will tax and regulate. She called ISIS our, quote, <laughs> determined enemies in her convention speech, our determined enemies, like we're playing a soccer game against them. They're savage murderers who have killed 33,000 people, them and their predecessors, just in the last 13 years, 80% in the last three years. But I will tell you this, your viewers probably don't know that you and I share a birthday, January yes. 20th, Inauguration yes. Day. Inauguration Come Day. as my guest, Bill Maher. We'll see you there
3: please keep me out of guantanamo bay that's all i'm asking thank you You're kelly awesome. Ann Conway. thank you i gotta thank give you. it to you you did it all right let's meet our panel
1: yeah that that worries me more when people who should know better are involved with this guy you know you can forgive the rubes kind of maybe you know people that yeah
0: yeah, yeah, yeah the
1: basket of deplorables,
0: 50%. I
1: think that was a low estimate, Hillary. (laughs) Low, low estimate.
0: Yeah, I can't believe she walked it back and apologized.
1: She should not have apologized. That was... I
0: think running for president in 2016 means never having to say you're sorry. You
5: know, to just be grossly generalistic, you you could put half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. (laughs) Right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. And he has lifted them up. He has given voice to their Websites that used to only have 11,000 people now have 11 million. He tweets and retweets. They're offensive, hateful, mean-spirited rhetoric. Now, some of those folks, they are irredeemable, but thankfully they are not America. But the other basket, the other basket, and I know because I look at this crowd, I see friends from all over America here. I see friends from Florida and Georgia and South Carolina and Texas and as well as, you know, New York and California. But that other basket of people are people who feel the government has let them down, the economy has let them down, nobody cares about them. Nobody worries about what happens to their lives and their futures. And they're just desperate for change. It doesn't really even matter where it comes from. They don't buy everything he says, but he seems to hold out some hope that their lives will be different, that they won't wake up and see their jobs disappear,
6: lose a kid to heroin.
5: Feel like they're at a dead
0: end. Those are people we have to understand and empathize with as well. That's, that's that's the theme of the election. So yeah, it was a huge mistake, I think, for Hillary to apologize for that because I mean, the fact is, you know, some people might say, well, you know, if you're running for president, you have to be president for all people. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. say you're not representing some people, but. I mean, Donald Trump is not representing Mexicans. He's not representing African Americans. He's not representing, you know, Muslim Americans. He's not, you know, there's a million people that Donald Trump, there's millions and millions of people who Donald Trump is not going to represent uh, if he gets elected. And, mm-hmm. and he doesn't pretend to represent them or be a leader for them in the campaign. And he insults them every chance he gets. So for Hillary to insult Trump voters, uh, let's not pretend that that's not something that's going on on both sides. Mm-hmm. And if I had a problem with it, I think like a basket of deplorables is just such a weird phrasing. You know, I mean, and deplorable is such as it's so weird when you watch people talk about this on the news because they're like, "Well, can we really call his supporters deplorables?" I mean, is that the you know? Can we call them that? Are they that? I mean, maybe they're race. Maybe they're not racist. Maybe they're just you know they feel left behind by this economy. You know, whatever that means. (laughs) Well, maybe they feel that, but maybe they're also racist and if they're racist does that make them deplorable i mean can a news anchor you know fact factually state that racism is deplorable i mean that's a it, i think most people would agree that's true but mm-hmm. beyond it being true it is obviously an opinion right it's a it's
1: yeah but a but the context in which it. she said this i apparently was a private fundraiser to people that yeah. Paid boohoo dollars to hear her say that. So, those, that audience that she yeah. was speaking to in that moment, maybe that does resonate with them. That that phrase "basket of deplorables." What? That's such a weird phrase. Like, it hurts to say that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's weird. But it's kind of like Mitt Romney's forty-seven percent comment in the two thousand
0: twelve. Yeah. But with less racism.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: There are 47% of the people who will vote for the president no matter what. All right, there are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they're entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 40. I mean, he starts off with a huge number. These are people who pay no income tax. 47% of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of local taxes doesn't connect. And you'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell every, every four years. And uh, and so my job is not to worry about those people. I'll never convince them that they should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. What I have to do is convince the 5 to 10% in the center that are independents, that are thoughtful, that look at voting one way or the other depending upon, in some cases, emotion, whether they like the guy or
0: not? I, I, I agree in that it was something that was said behind closed doors and got out, got leaked. Mm-hmm. but I don't agree that it's equally despicable. I mean, he was, he, you know, he was saying, like, basically poor people are minorities, are used to being on the you know, the government seat as it were, and were never going to vote for a Republican because they'd be kicked off the government seat, so he wasn't gonna try to get them. Uh but I, I think if 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 what Hillary was saying is that she's not gonna you know she's not gonna represent a bunch of racists, uh, you know, well good for her. I think that's a good thing to say actually. So mm-hmm.
1: Well I mean you know, I think that the know, alt- the, the alt right yeah. has taken over the Republican Party
0: at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still am not entirely clear what that even means the alt right. I mean, it's like what Republicans that are tech savvy or something or Republicans who acknowledge their own racism, I mean, what and embrace it. I mean, what's the what is the alt right exactly?
1: It's just dressed up racism. That's all it is. I mean, it's just the same old Nazi uh, it's if you encountered the Pepe the Frog
0: meme. I I I read about it, I saw some things about it. I don't normally find myself in the areas of the internet where it might come up in in the context that it's being used these days, I guess. Ah, uh, well yeah.
1: you do not administer any comment sections. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! So I've yeah, seen, I've seen it. It's are
0: disaster. Yeah,
1: it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Turn off comments. My background photo on Facebook is never read the comments.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. It's um. I mean, there's uh. the Hesse coates right for writing for the Atlantic, uh, author of Between the World and Me, best um, book I read in 2015. He, I haven't read it, but I almost picked it up at the bookstore, English language bookstore up in Seoul a few weeks ago. You should read it. You, but I think he's a great smart guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up. But he used to be somewhat famous on The the Atlantic for actively engaging with his comment section. But for the past six months or so, I've noticed that his articles don't even have a comment section anymore. He totally disabled it. So I love it. I think the trolling and the stupidity and the racism, much. That, he, he got sick of dealing with it, probably.
1: hmm Especially if you touch on but, you know um, race in America, people have all sorts yeah. of feelings in the comments section about that um, yeah. But anyway, Pepe the Frog is basically some kind of Nazi, and also the Nazi on Twitter category uses. I don't know about other places. This is probably uh, springing from 4chan, apparently, so like the sewers of the internet, um, where anime characters are used as um, profile pictures. Okay. There's like a Nazi. They have like Nazi like fan art. Uh, you know, Japanese animation. It's just, it's very strange. But anyway, this, this Pepe the yeah. Frog thing has become a meme for the quote-unquote alt-right, which is just another way to say, you know, they, I think they used to call them John Birch people, maybe.
0: Hmm. The, John, the Birch John Birch society was like a society. It was yeah. uh, a fiercely, not fearless, a fiercely anti-communist right-wing organization in the 19... 19- 50s and 60s, is that, and i remembering that right?
1: Yeah, maybe that doesn't describe all of it, but I think that certainly comes from the fringe of, it was like the Barry Goldwater version of the Republican Party, and then there was the the other version, I don't know, like the Rockefeller Republicans, you know, the old school... Uh-huh but then whatever it was it was always a part of the party that they tried to like minimize and now it's just it's the inmates have taken over the asylum because they condescended to them for so long and then they just yeah. said we're just going to tip the chessboard over like this guy just to shake it up whatever
0: yeah yeah <laughs> And uh, I think there was something about, you know, as far as Democratic strategy, there was something about Hillary was saying that, you know, Donald Trump was an aberration and he was not representative of the Republican Party and she wanted to, you know, take votes from Republicans who were reasonable and stuff. And everybody was kind of screaming at her, don't say that we need to tie all the, you know, Congressional or senatorial Republican candidates to Donald Trump as much as possible right now. So you may think that you're helping yourself, but you're actually hurting all the down ballot people. Mm -hmm. And was it Rance Priebus or something? I think within the last 24 hours he said that all Republicans need to support Trump.
1: That's ridiculous. So he's he's I the biggest one of the again, one of the bigger but... sellouts of this whole story is is Reince Priebus. Like you let the Republican Party this happened to the quote unquote party of Lincoln on your watch. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for going yeah. along with it, you know. Yeah. Thanks for putting up no fight. Yeah.
0: I think I'd like to think this will irreparably damage the Republican Party, but um, I don't think it will because they just seem to be able to bounce back from things. You know, like, I mean, I think that they, sh- they should have been deeply shamed by the Bush presidency and they should have, you know, done some changes. But they didn't. I mean, they, you know, with Mitt Romney, they tried to, you know, after his loss, they tried to do the, the study about why they lost and what they need to change. and They didn't change that. And I think, like, every every four years or whenever there's an election, they, you know, it's like a fresh start. It's like, okay, well, oh, this year they're offering somebody who's pretty reasonable. Never mind, you know, the long-term trends of the things that they actually endorse and support in this party and what they've tried to do in the past and what they've done in the past. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think Americans don't have a very long historical memory. So Yeah, that's definitely true. I think... Um, um, what's his name? Turd Blossom? Carl uh, Rogue. He talked about in 2004, or sometime back then, he was talking about how he was going to make um, the Republicans a permanent majority party. Mm. And I think that obviously didn't happen, but I don't think it could happen on the Democratic side either. I think they
1: Maybe not nationally, they're but they're national doing level. very local and statewide level well.
0: The Republicans?
1: Yeah. Republicans have taken over the state yeah. houses and the local jurisdictions. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem. Kind of a disaster. Big, huge problem. Yeah. Um, because, as we all know, whoever is in charge gets to draw the district lines. I guess what you have then... Yeah. Gerrymandering. Which... Yeah basically keeps yeah. people in office for life most of the time. Ninety percent of seats are basically uncontested because of gerrymandering. Because they just... Yeah. It's called stacking and cracking. I'm, I'm sorry, I could go on all day about this. I've reported on it before. It's its a terrible, terrible thing. Um,
0: yeah, it kind of makes a mockery of democracy, really.
1: Really, really does. Anyway, is there anything else you want to talk about with Trump or Clinton or... These crazy, this crazy election, I mean, so much to say.
0: Yeah, the, um, well, I, uh, yeah, I guess, sorry, I'm kind of sounding a little down or whatever today, it's just, uh, it's, it's uh, today, I mean, a few days ago during my vacation time, I was staying awake until six o'clock in the morning, and this morning I had to do a a complete 180 and I had to wake up at 6 (laughs) a.m., so I'm kind of like, kind of dragging getting back into the work swing here now, but, um. Oh, yeah. But um, I was going to say there was a New York Times article I read just a couple days ago, and the t- I was very encouraged. It was like the top story in the title was like something like Clinton to do outreach to part- voters going towards third parties, right? Because a lot of people are going toward the Libertarian or the Green Party right now, especially Democratic mm-hmm. voters. And you know, so I was like, oh, oh, good. Is she finally gonna, you know, try to get some left wing votes by doing some policy or something that's gonna, you know, bring us back into the fold? Is she basically is she gonna give me an excuse to vote for? Because right now, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent Bernie or Bust or not. I don't know yeah. if I'm gonna vote Green or vote for Clinton. But
1: but, but you're turning she, into, uh, 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 you know, give me one reason to stay here, and I'll turn right back around. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, like, I feel like we've all been slapped in the face about fifty times by Hillary Clinton. But we need, you know, she needs to do something. I mean, I know she's come partway around on a couple of positions towards the Sanders view and stuff. But so, you know, I read the article and I'm looking for any kind of a substantive, any kind of a is she throwing us any bone at all? And what, when I read the article, I was infuriated because I said that actually, what's happening, what her outreach is going to be, is that. She's initiated a multi billion dollar multi million dollar ad buy campaign to run ads to tell third party voters that a vote for any third party is a vote for Donald Trump. Which is stupid. <laughs> and and, you know, everybody's aware that if we're not voting for Hillary Clinton, that does to some degree increase his chances and it does hurt her. But you know, that we don't need to be shamed or reminded of that or anything like that. You need to come and get our votes. <laughs> That's your job, you know. Well, you've you've had a million chances to do it. You know, you chose Tim Kaine over Bernie Sanders or uh, Elizabeth Warren as your vice president, which was stupid. Mm-hmm. But that was a concrete move toward the, you know, perhaps moderate Republicans or the Wall Street types who like that guy. Mm-hmm. You need to make concrete moves toward the left wing of the party to get our votes. You know, otherwise... <laughs> You know, otherwise it it does continue to be Bernie or Bust. I don't think she understood. I don't think anybody really understood in the primary before the convention that Bernie or Bust was a real thing. And that, like, no, we're saying we're not going to vote for her. We're not going to change that two weeks later when she wraps up the convention here. It's, you know, if she doesn't, you know, number one, if she doesn't make some strong commitments that she can't go back on. Uh, so I was just absolutely infuriated by that article because she's not, obviously she's not serious about getting her vote. She's not serious about, you know, doing things that we want her to do. She's, you know, she just thinks that she can advertise her way out of the problem, which is just so stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, with the student loan situation with a lot of people in our generation, I think like if she had said she's going to donate millions of dollars, uh, to helping people with debt relief from student loans, that would be a concrete step. And, I, you know, millions of dollars make a big difference for a lot of people. If she did something like that, I think a lot of Bernie supporters would say, hey, okay, that's a substantive move, and that's a good use of the millions of dollars that she's spending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we're going to give her another look, give her another hearing. But, no, she's spending the money, millions of dollars on advertising to just basically tell us, something that we already know that she thinks that, you know, if we don't vote for her, we're supporting Donald Trump tacitly. Mm. Uh, So that article just absolutely infuriated me. So again, and then of course you go down to the comments section and, you know, people are mad about it. And then of course you have the Hillary supporters saying, oh, look at all these Trump voters. Oh, look at them. Look at them. And I'm like, yeah, keep going guys. You're going to get our votes eventually if you keep insulting us like this. (laughs) so right now <laughs> i don't know what's worse i don't know if it's hillary or her supporters mhm um, and and the thing is i mean right now trump and hillary are pretty close to running neck and neck i mean i I've, i think she might be up one or two points but i've also seen certain polls i think the los angeles times or something had one that has him up by several up to maybe 6 points up which seems
1: high but yeah well uh, this has echoes of of brexit for me um, and I, I, yeah. I'm not the first one to make this point by any means, but, um, you know, everyone was so convinced that remain would, would win. It's not going to happen. People just got complacent and then guess what, you know, surprise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. know well, your vote actually matters, but yeah. But, uh, but, I mean, does anybody yeah. have any doubt right now that if if Bernie was the candidate, if he was the nominee, that um, that this is where the polling would be right now? Is there any doubt that he wouldn't be wiping the floor with Donald Trump at this point in the election? All Bernie Senate, would have had to do is what party? we all
1: know he could have done is just stay on message and remain focused on his issues and let Donald Trump do the crazy Tasmanian devil thing he does. And just mm-hmm. kind of let it happen and burn out in front of him and just, you know, sail on. Because we all know he would have won against Trump. They even said that yeah. for months. Nobody disputed that back uh, before the nomination was decided. Um,
0: well, so. Hillary supporters said, oh, no, he hasn't really been attacked. And they'll say he's a socialist and that'll drive his numbers down. Mm-hmm. And that may have driven numbers down in some places, but I think all of the independent support that Trump has gotten and all of the, uh, you know, kind of anti-establishment uh, vibe that he's been tapping into would have been nullified by by a Bernie Sanders. who's a real outsider, you know, not having money in politics kind of guy.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, it, it's just, you know, our, the Democratic Party is so stupid. They thought that they could push her. On everybody, and we just accept it and vote for it because the the alternative is unthinkable. And they thought that the alternative so unthinkable that there's no way she'll lose to this guy. And now they're looking at the polls and they're going, "Oh my God, she could lose to this guy."
6: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's like it's too late now. You can't you can't switch your out. I mean, unless this health thing has legs, uh, but I don't think it does. I think you know she's going to heal up, and which is good, but. But at the same time, I think there's a question with Bill Clinton saying that these kind of these, these fainting spells have happened many, many times. What is that about? I mean, what is that about? How many times does it happen? Why does it happen? When does it happen? You know, uh-huh. uh, what effect will that have? Like if she's negotiating a deal with international groups like Putin or Iran or whoever, I mean, and she just collapses or something, I mean, how's that going to play? What's uh-huh. going to happen? So um, I think, and I think, our, I think a lot of left-wing people are very uh, frustrated with Bernie Sanders to some degree. For you know, he's going out there and doing what he has to do as a Clinton surrogate now, which is say, "Guys, this is not the year to vote for a third party." You know, you gotta, you really got to support her. I know a lot of things got said in the primary. We got to support her now. But I think, um, I think both for him and for. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, I think both of their brands were tarnished a little bit when they saddled up to Hillary Clinton. Ain't that the way? I think that knocked the shine off of both of them a little bit.
1: That's how it happens to people around the Clintons.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people were very angry that um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's primary challenger, uh, Tim Canova, did not, in the end, get the support from Bernie Sanders aside from the monetary support he'd done already mm-hmm. as far as fundraising. But he, you know, Tim Canova in his last week there, he, he asked Bernie Sanders, he said, Bernie, please come down to Florida, you know, give a speech or something, give me some support down here. And Bernie didn't do it, and Tim Canova lost, and Debbie Washington Schultz held on to her corrupt little fight come down there in Florida. And it's just, you know... It's, it's all very, very, very disappointing for liberals, I think.
1: Definitely. It's amazing that some people can fail upwards like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't think, I think most people don't like Debbie Washington Schultz. I mean, Republicans have been complaining about her for years, for whatever reason, Um but Democrats have been given a serious reason to complain about her in the last year. Mm -hmm. And she still wins her election, you know. I think there's a—I think a lot of people, I think a lot of voters are very lazy. It's just like they're used to seeing this name on the ballot, and that name is is aligned with their party that they identify with, and they don't really get into the details of what the person's done or what their behavior is been. And I I have a feeling that's why— to a large degree, I have a feeling that's why Hillary Clinton won the primary. It's just because people are like, "Oh, Clinton's the front runner. She's the Democratic candidate. She we've known about her for years, and that's just who we're going to vote for. We don't really um, pay attention to what she's done or what the issues that have been brought up against her are." So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, I think these are some things I'm thinking about these days. What's going on with domestic politics there in Indiana these days? Anything? Anything new? Uh, there's a horrible
1: opiate crisis in America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, just everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, just, just a really scary drug problem in America with, like, hard, weird <laughs> drugs.
0: Just scary. I, you know, I've been out of America for so long, I haven't really, um... Uh come face-to-face with any of that stuff. That's,
1: well, there's an overprescription well, problem reported. with doctors over-prescribing yeah. opiates.
0: Yeah. And from what I understand, though, I mean, in the states that have legalized marijuana, um, the this kind of thing has been almost totally avoided, or the numbers of the deaths are going down, the addiction rates are going down to hard drugs. Mm-hmm. And all this kind of stuff, violent crime is going down. Um you know tax revenue for the states is going up mm-hmm. so you know hopefully that's something that they'll eventually get around to in Indiana, although i'm not not holding my breath but um but you know that's a the you know the solutions it, I think it's very frustrating to watch things that are problems like you know, I mean, we look at what's going on in the Philippines with this Duterte guy or whatever um who you know is basically. I mean, Bob. Did you ever watch those movies, The Purge, mm-hmm. and The Purge: Anarchy was the sequel, and then The Purge: Election. election I, I
1: only saw the, the original Purge. I've only seen the first one. Yeah.
0: Well, I recommend the two sequels as well, especially Election Year was an outstanding. I mean, it was there were some problems. It was some of the there was a little bit of misogyny, I think, in it. But at the same time, it did a very good job of you know talking about politics in America and in, a, in a very you know, I think a lot of a lot of um, a lot of movies when they have political debates or anything like that, they're they're very uh, careful not to say who's Republican or who's a Democrat. But they were pretty clear that the it's a, it's a new form of national government in the movies. Obviously, with the you know the founding the new founding fathers or whatever is the political party. But they're pretty clear that those are kind of like kind of proto Republicans or neo Republicans or something versus. The main female character, protagonist woman, who's kind of like a, she's kind of a, her family was victimized by the the purge situation and stuff. And so she is campaigning against it, and she comes across as kind of like a, a Hillary Clinton slash Bernie Sanders kind of hybrid or something. Hmm. So it was an intensely political movie. I was, I, you know, I've heard about these movies, and I thought it was kind of more torture form type of situation or something. But I think those movies are actually incredibly smart. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of subtext, a lot of stuff going on in them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in in kind of a case of you know, art imitates life, basically, or life imitates art. I suppose uh, you know Duterte has basically legalized uh, citizens killing citizens throughout the Philippines. If mm. they uh, if they can say that somebody else was a drug dealer or even a drug user, they can kill them. Wow. And there's no charges. That's messed up. Um, yeah, and so you know, you see you see entire countries um, instituting drug policies like this that don't work, and then you see you know countries in Europe that have a sensible drug policy where addiction has been pushed way down. Um, drug treatment is a is a thing that is taken care of on a health perspective rather than a criminal justice perspective and and then you see you know places like Colorado or whatever in America where it's working out similarly and so it's so maddening when you see um, solutions that work and have been proven to work and solutions that don't work and have been proven not to work and have created huge problems in the societies that institute them and you know it just uh, it never happens in America it just doesn't happen like it. everybody's like well you know we can't do that 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 may work over there for this reason or that reason but it's not going to work here we can't try it we're not going to do it so yeah very frustrating mhm but yeah I, I recommend watching the purge movies i think if you uh if you look at them i mean okay when you saw the first one what did you what was your take on it what was your kind of your what was the what's rubber review of uh, the, the original Purge? Movie? <laughs>
1: Uh, I kind of perceived it to be in the, uh, saw category, uh, not torture porn exactly, but some sort of like bizarre wish fulfillment of like pain, you know, delivering pain onto other people.
0: Okay. Did you see the movie? There was a Korean movie or maybe it was a Hollywood movie with a Korean director called Snowpiercer. I've heard of it. I've not seen it. it. was called like, Sogum Yota or something like that—something, something train, kind of snow train, or something like that. But, anyways, the, the, that movie had a, a conceit about it that was very similar to—I think it was an Ursula K. Le Guin or something novel or short story that I read that was written maybe back in the seventies or something. And this story I read back in college was called uh, "Those Who Walk" or, "The People Who Walk Away from omolas. It was a short story, kind of a sci-fi, futuristic thing, and basically the whole story was just describing a society, Mm -hmm. okay? And so the society was very, you know, it was very similar, and and, um, the society was basically perfect. Crime had been reduced, and everything was, there was enough food for everyone, everyone's needs were provided for, it was a peaceful society, and the children were brought up in a very carefree way, and everything was great for everybody in the society, but when the, basically, when the children came of age, they were taken to a small shed that was very dirty and very decrepit and not in good condition. And when they went inside, they they saw that there was one child who was kept in a horrible situation, horrible, you know, abject poverty, starving, tortured, not treated well, and everything like this. And it was revealed that this was the price the society had to pay to have all the nice things and to be a good, successful society.
6: Hmm.
0: And after that, some of the children, most of the children, were able to reconcile that, and they were just able to say, "Okay, well, if that's the cost, it's too bad for that kid, but I want to continue to live in this great society of Omalos." But then they said, "But some of the kids would, when they finished that viewing, they would turn and they would walk away from the city and they would never return." Mm-hmm. And so the title of the story was "Those the the people who walk away from Omalos." And so. And, and so that that story, like when I watched The Purge, I mean, when I read reviews, I love one of my favorite things after I watch a movie, whether I love it or hate it, is to, you know, go on to RottenTomatoes.com or go on IMDb or whatever and just see what other people think. Go on to YouTube, wherever, and just, just see what other people think of the movie and what their reviews are. And almost all of the critical reviews, and there were a lot of critical reviews of The Purge, were that it's, it's just not realistic. They're like, this wouldn't happen it's not realistic. This wouldn't happen. You know, this is just unrealistic. Like people wouldn't do this and stuff. But I think like maybe, maybe we as American viewers have kind of lost the ability to watch a movie and view it as an allegory. Like we have to think it is something that could be realistic or that could literally happen. (laughs) Otherwise we can't engage with it, you know? Uh But for me, when I watched this movie, it reminded me of that story that I read, the short story that I read back in college. And I was like, okay, so this is, this doesn't all have to be taken literally.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, this is a situation where this guy works for a company that provides security for people who are wealthy enough to pay for the security, but to some degree that security is an illusion, and he will be punished, and his family will be sad because he'll, he'll die. I mean, I, spoiler alert, I, you might want to, Bob, in the, in, in the description for this episode, tell them there are spoilers for the, the Purge movie.
1: Wait, wait, wait. You, you can spoilers. do it yourself. Yeah. Listen, well, hold on. Oh, let me let me direct this right now. All right, future me, Rob, when okay. you're editing this, we're starting the intro to the episode right now. Go,
0: cha. Uh, hi, this is Big Daddy Cha Cha, and um, today in this episode, we're going to be talking about many things. A lot about American politics and the developments uh, in the in the campaign since the uh, since the respective conventions of the Democratic and Republican primaries. But I should also warn you that we also, the the subject of the movie The Purge will come up, and there will be spoilers for the movie The Purge. So if you have not watched The Purge, or perhaps its sequels, The Purge Anarchy, or The Purge Election Night, then uh, you may want to uh, stop listening at the time we start talking about The Purge. You have been warned. Cool. And Uh, cut. Yeah, that's good. Uh, So,
1: anyway, what were we saying about...
0: Well, yeah. Well, I was just saying, like that, you know. So I I viewed the purge not necessarily as a strict literal. You know, this is society, and these are real people, and this is exactly what would happen. But I looked at it as kind of a view of, okay, there are rich people in society who make money from things like perhaps, you know, selling selling weapon systems to countries outside of America, like Saudi Arabia or Israel or you know wherever. Mm -hmm. and they don't really care if those weapon systems are being deployed against perhaps innocent people in Yemen or Palestine or wherever. You know, just any country you want to, you know, you could practically, I I don't want to say you could throw a dart at the map, but there are a lot of places in the world where American weapon systems are being used against, perhaps in ways that we should not approve of. (sighs) And so I thought the character, uh, Ray Sons' character, you know, he feels like he's an innocent guy. He didn't, you know, he didn't start the purge, but he's making money off of selling, you know, protection to rich people for their houses. Mm-hmm. And so, in that way, he is to some degree culpable in this. That's and, true. And you know, and then the poor people are trying to escape. A, a young black man is being chased by a group of people who want to kill him. And so, there's a racial component to it, a class component to it, and a, just a, a thing that okay, some people have a good society, some people have a good life, and some people the society works for, and other people, everybody else is left outside in a in a crazy, crazy world that's just deadly. And I think on, on that allegorical level, I think that's the level at which this movie really works for me. <laughs> and the sequels didn't really do anything to to turn me away from that interpretation.
1: Yeah, maybe I'll have to revisit that series.
0: Yeah, And check out the, the, the short story, those who walk away the people who walk away from Omlaf too. It's a, it's a quick read, but it, it, it is impactful. But the Snow Piercer also was another story where the, the train, these people start at the back of the train and they, they start a revolution because they're being horribly treated back there. They're basically the, the poor people in society. and they move through different cars and they move through basically the middle class and finally they get to the upper class that's on the train. And then when they get to the front of the train, they open up underground under, the, under where the engine is and they find a young child being forced to work inside the engine um, who has been kidnapped from the back of the train. so And he's been forced to work in the engine because he's so small that he can sit there and his life is not good and everything. And that's kind of what it takes to make this train continue to run. Hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe we should have mentioned that there will also be spoilers for Snowpiercer. <laughs> Although this movie was four or five years ago, so maybe I haven't seen it by now, but it's kind of not my fault.
1: Hey, when we went to go see uh, the Joss Whedon version of Much Ado About Nothing, Ash made me promise uh, that I wouldn't spoil Shakespeare for her. So apparently 400 years yeah. sometimes isn't even enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, some spoiler warnings are timeless. <laughs> <laughs> It, it really gets me. Sometimes I'll be watching, like I, I try to watch, try to keep up with, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or something like that. And a bunch of websites will be putting on their website, like, um, you know, oh, Jon Snow, who's dead, or Jon Snow dies, or Jon Snow's not really dead. We saw it tonight. I'm like, why the hell are you posting this kind of stuff in the in the header for your article? I mean, this is, and they're like, well, it, it aired like eight hours ago, so people would have watched it. We think. It's, you know, spoiler warnings. People have got to be very careful about that. So, yeah. Oh, by the way, I listened to, I've been trying to catch up. I hadn't heard episodes for a little while. So I listened to some of your recent episodes and I heard um, Ash's one about the uh, uh, the Halloween and kind of the scary movies and stuff. And I was just kind of nodding my head along because a lot of my experiences, with some of those things were quite similar as far as like my parents also kind of, there were certain things that they they weren't like conservative at all. But there were certain movies that a lot of people got to see that I didn't get to see because they were, you know, uh, sexual or violent or they had bad messages about family or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, like, I <clears throat> definitely, and for me also, the original Scream was one of the first really, like, horror movies that I saw that was kind of like, you know, I went to the video store, I think it was uh, The Bookery, was it there, The Bookery in Mitchell? Oh, Yeah. For sure. You remember that place, the old VHS place there on I forget what street it was even on, what the name of the street was, but yeah, that that was a place. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, I picked up I picked up Scream and I went home and watched it and I was like, you know, it's kinda at the house, nobody else was there, and I was like, Oh man, I'm really doing it. I'm watching a scary movie all by <laughs> myself. I hope it's not too scary and it wasn't too scary, but it was a an outstanding movie and it and to some degree it did kind of ruin like Old um, classic horror, which I went back and watched a lot of later, like Halloween's and all this kind of stuff, Friday the Thirteenth and stuff. And yeah, you know, after you've seen a after you've seen a self aware version of one of those movies, it's kind of hard to go back and appreciate the originals for what they really were at the time. But yeah, but I thought Scream was an outstanding movie. Totally agreed with Ash. The, the first sequel, Scream Two, was still an outstanding movie, but the third and fourth were just total crap. Mm-hmm. So. I think, like, I mean, every movie or every movie series or every TV show, eventually they have to go one of two places, which is either Los Angeles or New York, right? Everything has to be about L.A. or New York. And by I think by the third and fourth, they had gotten into Los Angeles and stuff, and it was all about Hollywood and the movie industry and how yada, 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 yada. It just became very self-indulgent for Hollywood types, I think. Mm -hmm.
6: Uh,
0: Another recent case of that has been the... um, the uh, what can we say? The The walking dead is now spun off into Fear the Walking Dead, which is a new version of the show, which is not set in um the rural south in Georgia and no. Virginia and Washington, DC, and these kinds of places. Now it's set, it was set in Los Angeles,
1: yeah. It's a and whole by different
0: now. They've moved down into Mexico, yeah. Mm-hmm. They've moved to Mexico and stuff, but I just, you know, I'm so frustrated with that show because, like, of course, oh, yeah, of course, it has to be, has to be Los Angeles. Why don't we, we've got a good story with a, you know, a unique environment and everything that's set in a place that is not, stories are not usually set here. But let's take that story and just transplant it into this, this city where every movie takes place, you know? So frustrating. And another thing that's really frustrating is now that they're down in Mexico, like, None of these people in this family speak Spanish. I'm like, you lived in Los Angeles and you don't speak Spanish? What What? what I mean, what, what kind of family is this? I mean, I don't know. It's so frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm.
1: Or they'll do the selective yeah, Spanish I mean, where it's like, me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, gracias. Yeah. Hola. Que tal. No, I, I think I'm que tal. They don't say that, but like, I mean, yeah, these are...
1: They, they do they sometimes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I,
1: abu, you know, abu, I abuelita there, but Abuelita Isn't that grandmother?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i English Oh Good Good You do Okay My I mean my Spanish is terrible At this point Too It, it was it used to be pretty good In like high school and college, Yeah I think But I haven't used it for years I haven't used it for a decade At least And um, so it's a disaster But I'm just saying I've never been to L.A. But I mean For people who live in L.A. Or have lived in L.A. I mean I, I don't know, uh, would you say that, I, I would say that probably, I would guess that more more people statistically in L.A. have to speak Spanish than they do in the rest of the country in most places. I mean, would that be a fair thing to say, or is it true that in Los Angeles, like most of the country, a lot of people just can't speak Spanish?
1: Well, no, I mean, you you have to consider that California in general is like that. Um, my brother... Yeah, more people uh, speak Spanish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My brother lives in Sacramento. Yeah. And his son is, he knows Spanish, learning Spanish, you know, it's, it's part of the curriculum that they're, that they're putting him through. Cause it's just, it's, if you live in California, it's better to know Spanish.
0: Yeah. Straight up. And so, I mean, and even for me, somebody from like rural North Carolina and Indiana, like I studied Spanish from fifth grade all the way through college. So, you know, so I just, I, I, It's so frustrating to see situations where, like, the characters go to Mexico and they're like, oh, I can't speak Spanish. Oh, I lived in Los Angeles my whole life, but what's this? What Now I need this language, and how could I have ever known that I would have needed to study this? What did I study in high school? it's it's very frustrating it really is so yeah the walking dead and fear the walking dead are two shows that i kind of hate watch um
1: what what else do you hate about them uh, what else do you hate
0: about walking dead uh the acting i mean the acting is horrible um which and i I don't know if we can even totally I, i don't completely blame the actors i blame the writers because the writers have written this show in a way that like You you know, when you watch, Bob, I I keep wanting to tell you, go watch The Wire, because The Wire was a a show where, or even, you know, The Sopranos also to some degree, where people have natural conversations, right? People have conversations about things that are going on in their life, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that ties into the plot, often that ties into the plot, but a, a lot of times it's kind of just... The mood, the atmosphere, the relationships, the character building, all that stuff gets taken care of in these kinds of just normal everyday conversations. Mm -hmm. But there's another style of television, which is what, you know, The Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead firmly fall into that, that, that style, which is, um, there's no natural conversation. Um, everybody talks exactly the same. Like people, everything's a power game. Everybody, I know something that you don't know. I have more power than you. I have more knowledge than you at this moment. And that may change later, but right now, the whole dynamic of the scene is turning on the fact that one character has more knowledge than another character. Or, you know, oh, these three people, like the mom, the dad, and the older brother, know that zombies are real and that when a person dies, they come back as a zombie, but they're not going to tell the sister because they don't want to worry her. So she's going to go off and do something stupid because they didn't warn her about something that any other family member... The, you would absolutely warn a family member about it. You know, it's just like anybody would tell their kids this, Hey, this is what's going on and you need to be very careful. But for like several episodes, they didn't tell the sister what was going on. So she's kind of like, you know, going into the neighbor's house without any good reason because nobody told her that like the neighbor who committed suicide is going to come back as a zombie and attack her. It's just like, uh, it's just there's there's no reason for them not to have told this person except for the fact that the writers are lazy and they wanna they wanna set up a plot point later like a scare a jump scare that they can do because this character has imperfect knowledge because these characters don't share knowledge like real people would mm-hmm. or you know um, just like a million moments like that at one point I think in the first episode of Fear the Walking Dead like there was a case where. The husband and wife are on the, the, what is the expressway that goes around L.A. or whatever, the 405 or the 105, or what is what is it? Well, uh, the, the
1: 5 is the major north-south highway, so anytime it's around the city, they put a 4 in front of it, like 465 okay. in Indianapolis. Is a four because it goes around the city, but it is Highway sixty five, ostensibly. You know what I mean? So it's Highway (laughs) five, but it goes
0: around LA. It's the four hundred five. Okay, well, you know they're on the highway or whatever, Mm -hmm. they're going on an exit ramp and stuff. But the police have stopped somebody up ahead, and they don't really know what's going on, and they hear gunshots and some bicycle, motorcycle drives by, and so they get out of there. They they get back on the highway, and they go go home a different way. And the next day at school, the husband husband's a teacher, and the wife is, like, a guidance counselor at the school. Like, they see a whole bunch of kids, and the principal are watching this video from that scene that they were just right next to the night before, where, like, this guy is on the ground after a car accident or whatever, and the the you know the the emergency the what is it emergency medical the emt is like administering to him and then he grabs and bites the emt and then the police come and he stands up and he's walking towards the police and they start beating him and he doesn't fall down and then they shoot him and he falls down and he gets back up and he attacks him and bites some more people and then finally they shoot him in the face and so the the, the two parents are watching this they're like halfway through this video they're like Oh wow, this is interesting. Okay, we we got to go to our class, or we got to go do something. We got to go do something important right now. So they stop watching the video and they run away from that scene. I'm like, no. If you were right there, you're going to absolutely, you know, you're going to watch this scene to find out exactly what happened. You're not going to walk off to like figure out something about the school. Um, you know, I, I, it's just like this is another show where just you know people. I don't know. It drives me crazy. Have you have you watched any of it at all? Uh-
1: Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead? Fear. I've seen one, maybe two episodes of Fear. I have seen how many, how many uh, seasons of The Walking Dead are there right now?
0: I think there have been about six, I believe.
1: Okay, I think I'm at least two seasons behind because I really haven't watched it in a major way since. The kid was born. Oh
0: um, yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah.
1: It really cuts down on my walking dead
0: time. That's that's why I'm so single. <laughs> that for
1: just, just to watch hate watch the Walking Dead. <laughs>
0: yeah, I find it's very rewarding. <laughs> no, um, but um I, I understand like when you have when you have little ones, like you do have to give up on certain um, forms of entertainment or something.
1: Well, especially because he repeats everything now and he sees things and he's he he, not only does he take it in, he spits it back out, you know, so if he sees some some crazy okay. stuff yeah. you know he's not afraid to say or do anything in front of anybody at this point so if he hears something he'll repeat it you know so you have to be careful what yeah. <laughs> he might repeat around who when yeah.
0: so if he, he screams you gotta shoot him in the head mm-hmm. that might raise a few eyebrows at the cocktail party <laughs> but I um, mean like when you watch I mean <clears throat> are you aware of this, what I'm saying like this kind of a show where you know the acting is just very utilitarian just to get you to the next plot point that it feels very contrived. Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, I think even another show, Friday Night Lights, I know you, you like that one. I liked it a lot, too, and I think that was another show where the acting was, you know, more naturalistic, and everything was not always pushing directly towards some plot point. It was like these were real people who were, you know, living their lives, mm-hmm. and the story unfolds around them. Well, it's
1: so kind of what you were saying before, the, the, the dialogue is allowed to breathe a little bit. Um. Yeah. It doesn't really get that opportunity. It's like the oppressive heat of the zombie apocalypse is always there, so it's always like Carl. <sighs> <So. laughs>
0: yeah. Oh god, Carl. He's like he's the worst actor of the bunch, and they should have killed his character just to get rid of that actor. It's horrible. He's he's so horrible. It's like he's just always like, I'm a man dead. I ain't scared, Dad. <laughs> Let me shoot him, Dad. I can shoot him. <laughs> you know? It's like, okay, okay, Carl. Yeah, you're a man. <laughs> now die already. Cause, uh, just a bad actor. I mean, like I said earlier, I think I, I give a lot of excuses to the actors because I know a lot of the actors on that show. Um, you know, Tyrese, well, not Tyrese, um, well, what, was, what was his name? um I can't think of his name because they kind of like mixed up the characters who were in the original comic and stuff and so they had what was their name there was one black guy who was with them from the beginning basically when they got to Atlanta but then he got killed and Mm -hmm. then they brought in another African American character who was kind of like a he he was like really really big and strong and everything and he had his daughter with him and stuff Mm -hmm. and she's still alive but he died a, a couple seasons ago and stuff and so I get their names confused but like he's an outstanding actor. In like the third or fourth season of the of the Wire, of the Wire he played a he played a guy named Cuddy, and he was an outstanding, uh, just a great, great, great character. He was kind of a reformed murderer. He'd been in prison for like twenty years and stuff, and he. He used to be just an absolutely cold killer who, you know, killed people in the street. And then, like, you know, apparently he called the police and told them, hey, come down here to this street and this street right now because I just killed this guy. <laughs> come pick him up and everything. Hmm. And But he goes to jail, and he's, he you don't know him until he comes out of jail and he comes back to the neighborhood. and He's just a really mellow, relaxed kind of reformed. He wants to, wants to do different things with his life, and he briefly kind of gets pulled back into the gang stuff, but then he gets out. And you think you know in these kinds of shows you think it's going to be a thing where he eventually gets pulled back under but he really he really gets his life on the straight and narrow and triumphs and stuff in and in a way his character is very inspirational. Hmm. I think it was in the 4th season that he really kind of had his arc. But so that character is really good. Um there's another African American character on there. I forget his name also unfortunately um but he played um he played the the nephew of, uh, and uh, he was uh, Barksdale's nephew. I forget the guy's name exactly. Uh, something Barksdale, but um, he was also a very good actor. So you know, I've seen several actors from the the Wire who I know are outstanding actors who can do amazing work, and they're just totally wasted on this uh, on the Walking Dead. <laughs> right. I mean, every conversation on the Walking Dead, like. Whenever you know, whenever people ask him like, "Where's your family? You used to be with your family. We saw you last time you were with your family," they just get like really sad. And they're like, "I can't talk about it. It's too painful." Like, I can understand some people might react that way, but I don't think that a lot of or everyone would. But on The Walking Dead, because they don't have like a variety of writers or something, or they have like the whole thing was written by one person. It feels like, which the comic kind of was, but <laughs> like. I think I would, you know, in that situation, I'd tell them exactly what happened. Yeah, I love them dearly, but, like, yeah, they got eaten back in this town. Yeah, I did this, and they did that, and then the zombies came, and then this happened exactly. It was horrible. I would, you know, I would just straight-up tell them, but, like, on The Walking Dead, nobody ever tells anybody exactly what happened. They're all just like, it's too painful. I I can't even recount it. But I'm strong. I, I'm too weak to talk about it, but I'm still strong, right? And so I just don't like the way all the characters are behaving the same way. Because at the end of the day, the show doesn't really have time for characters, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, anyways, yeah, we're getting into some pretty deep television criticism here. I <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, do you think it's like you say, did you read the comic books first?
0: Um, I read the comic books, I believe... When I came back to America in 2000, late 2007, early 2008 for the first time, I went to the Monroe County Library up there in Bloomington and I, uh, yeah, I checked out several of the comics. I think I read about something like, I think I, I don't know how many were even out back then, but I read something like, well, anyways, at some point I was able to read more of them in Korea too, and I basically read comics one through 100. Hmm. And so I had a, a pretty good head start on the show on the show, you know, the first season I thought was pretty good, but I just don't don't think they um, you know, I think there were problems that were always there because they were kind of slaves to the storyline more to the more than to the characters. And it, it's really weird because everybody has favorite characters. Like there are people I sort of care about on the show, but like people are like Glenn, I love Glenn. Or gosh, I love Daryl. And I'm like you, you you know these characters are utterly two dimensional. I mean, what's Daryl's character about? Okay, he was abused by his brother, he was brought up as a racist and he's very good with a crossbow. That's all you need to know about his character.
1: Also his hair looks and better be and better like, the,
0: the worse things go for them. <laughs> <laughs> If you say so, <laughs> but I mean, maybe he's a good actor. Like I, I I'm not <laughs> besmirching his acting at all because I don't think the show is a show for actors to, you know, really showcase what they can do. But like for people to say he's a good actor, like that Reedus, what's name, Norman Reedus or something like his name. I mean, everybody's obsessed with how great he is. I think even the the creators of Metal Gear Solid are making a new video game based around his character. They've basically created a character that looks exactly like him or something. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but it's, it's weird to me how people have these characters that they're so undyingly loyal to on, on the walking dead. But, um, I think, you know, there are characters that I like more and then there are characters like Carl that I can't stand and I want them to die. And kind of like Andrea in season two or three or whenever she died, um, the, the fans were just calling for her character to die and finally they did it. <laughs> Although in the comics she stayed alive for much, much longer. And I'm not sure if she's supposed to still be alive or not, but she definitely... Actually, I think she did die. I think so. But, like, her character was alive much farther along in the comics than she was in the show. So the show's already demonstrated a willingness to, you know, kill off their characters, but I think they want to keep it, like... I, I think they think that a lot of the drama in the show comes from Rick Grimes as a father trying to, you know, shepherd and protect his son in the zombie apocalypse. And I think they think that that's a compelling storyline, and I just don't think that most people really think it is, you know.
1: I will say that kind of thing yeah. probably grabs you more if you have kids.
0: Okay. I, well, okay. Okay. And I think that's fair, and I can't really comment on that, but I would say that there's okay there's a there's a video game that I'd strongly recommend then if that's the kind of thing you're into, which is well it's not it's not like uh, an interest
1: of mine, it's just like <laughs> you think about that kind of thing more if if you if it's actually something you're concerned about just in your life, you know what I mean
0: yeah i okay, I could see that, but but there was a video game called um Oh, man, I can't think of the name right now. But it, in, I'm going to keep trying to think of this. But, um, oh, man, I don't know what this was called. It was on the PlayStation exclusively, and it was, um, oh, boy, this is bad. I can't remember this. Um, oh, man. Well, anyways, in the in the game, you're a character who, at the beginning, you you come home to your house, and you're there, and your daughter's there and stuff, and, uh, this is actually the first night that the zombies get loose, and so somebody breaks into your house while you're asleep or something, and you wake up, and you go around looking, and you go outside or something, and then you switch to the daughter, and the daughter starts playing, and she goes around the house looking for her father who went outside or something, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on on the news and outside the house and everything, and then finally... Your your brother, I think your your dad's brother or something, comes in the truck and gets you, and you, you're trying to leave and everything, and he's telling you what's going on a little bit. And then when you're just about to get away, there's like a, a government quarantine, and your daughter gets shot by the government stuff. Hmm. She dies. And then, like, the story picks up, like, ten years later or something, and you're living in this kind of this shanty town that's controlled by the government and everything. But ultimately, like, you get sent on a mission to escort this young girl who is kind of like a proxy for your daughter or something to another station on the other side of America. So you're basically walking across America on foot with these kind of these zombie things everywhere. And the story is great touching. The characters are well-developed. I mean, it's the same type of thing. It's this parental instinct to protect a child or a child surrogate in the story. And, it's, it's driving me crazy that I can't think of the name right now, but it's such a good game. And so I'm saying I think that kind of story can be done very well, but I just don't think that the, the Walking Dead does it because of the acting choices and the writing choices that they've made. So, yeah. But
1: do you think in certain yeah. ways it's kind of maybe not actually in the league of The Wire and The Sopranos? It's actually more closely related to something like Game of Thrones?
0: I, no, no, because I think
1: Game of Thrones basically has good acting, too. But um, it's it's another show think... where anybody could die at any time. It's based on a book, although I think the series has now surpassed the book, because I don't think George R.R. R. Martin has put out his new book yet, but they're just continuing on with the story, I think. I don't know if that's true, but I think that's true. Um, mm-hmm. But, and it's another thing where I don't always completely know what's going on, but I don't feel upset about that, and I'm just kind of, like, rolling with it. Um, I will say you're probably right that Game of Thrones maybe has better acting. It has Peter Dinklage, so obviously it has better acting.
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, quick aside, the game's name is The Last of Us. Mm. The Last of Us. It's an outstanding game. Mm. Oh, so I went. So I went back and... Um, I, I bought a PS3 when the PS4 came out because the prices went down and everything just to play some uh, PlayStation-exclusive games and stuff. And, um, one of the, the series I really wanted to check out was the Uncharted series because people said it had good acting and good directing. and everything. I really didn't think the acting was great, although the set design was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the real standout game for the PlayStation was this game called The Last of Us, which was, again, about this, kind of this, this father-daughter relationship in the post-apocalyptic world and stuff. And it, was, it was really outstanding. So yeah, yeah. Anyways. But um yeah. So yeah, so that's a that's a game I would recommend for that kind of a story. But yeah, I have heard other parents say that that like certain kinds of movies that were bad or something, they start to look good or something after you have a kid and you can kind of understand the parent what they're going through or whatever.
1: So. <laughs> that yeah, it happens to the best yeah. of us. <laughs>
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll know someday, who knows. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, anyways, Bob, I'd probably better get going here, I've got I've to gotta go back to work in less than an hour, basically, so, um. Well, uh. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for, for hopping on the phone, um, so, uh, uh, have you put up any new YouTube things yet?
0: Um, I've kind of fallen away from that because I was frustrated because, like, my my income from the YouTube stream was actually going down. Uh basically I have to get to a hundred dollars and stuff to before they start sending me any money for it or whatever. And I was at six cents or no, I was at thirty two cents. I was like, all right, you know, this is slow, but like I'm sure after I hit like a critical mass it'll, you know, balloon up. But then for some reason my my income went down to five cents or six cents or something. It went down. I was like what? And so I sent an email to YouTube and I was like, hey, why is my, you know, my AdSense or whatever income actually Mm -hmm. going backwards? But it was, it it ended up being, and then I got busy with work and everything and I kind of got discouraged about the whole thing and I just didn't upload for a long time and so, and I didn't even check my email to see what the reply was, but I checked it the other day and stuff and it's down to one cent. And I'm like, what in the world is, I mean, once people have viewed it and they clicked on the ad or whatever and you've made the money, how do you lose the money? So maybe I need to check my email. But I do have some – I shot a video the other day in Seoul when I was on vacation at a Korean War Memorial Museum Mm. um, with a Chinese teacher that I work with here. Mm. And um, so I have new videos that I need to upload, but it's just such a hassle. It's so much trouble to upload them all and everything. And then when you don't even realize, like, if you're getting money for it or not, eventually it's just kind of a – I'm not saying that's the reason I, I necessarily primarily did it, but I was definitely curious about the, the income uh, style from a YouTube thing. I, I've wondered about that for years, and you know, I have lots of questions.
1: Yeah, so. well, I've no, I, I but, think um, I yeah, have fifteen dollars. Yeah, I think I have 50, fifteen dollars sitting in an AdSense account that's never. I'm never going to get.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and $15. That's pretty good. Like people don't realize like how how much you have to grind to get that kind of kind of kind of money on YouTube, they they're, they're stingy with it. Oh, I'm I'm even it's talking
1: like about I my own my own personal video. website. I haven't done it on my videos yet.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Well, interesting. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to, it's definitely hard to make money at this kind of thing, I guess. But uh, I don't know. I guess after you, if you reach a certain audience level, if you find your target audience or whatever your demographic, then maybe you can. I don't know. Whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, people they should check it out. Shine Korea on YouTube if they want to if they want to check out. Like, I think I put up about twelve or thirteen videos already, and. I swear to God, there are going to be more videos. I will put up more videos soon. Hopefully, I can get up to. I was putting out one or two videos a week there for several weeks um, when I was really, you know, at the beginning, and I had a lot of energy for it and stuff. But I've kind of, yeah, fallen out of the habit here, and I need to clear up some room on my on my uh, on my GoPro camera so I can do some more because I think the hard drive is full right now.
1: Well they're uh they're great okay, videos. Yeah, hopefully. I love I love uh the ones oh, okay. where you put them uh on your head and ride around the city.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only downside is that when I put the I found that when I put the um uh, when I put the camera in the in the camera holder and then attach it to the headset or the chest set or whatever, the sound quality goes down because it muffles the mic. Mm hmm. And so I found out that that's kind of a big problem and stuff. So I've I've, got, I've taken more to just kind of holding it in my hands and stuff when I'm filming because I can. I can it's so dangerous. It a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are. It's a very strong camera, Bob. <laughs> the, the GoPro is designed like you can run over it with a car and it'll still keep filming and stuff. Apparently, so hmm. it's it's pretty pretty sturdy. I haven't dropped it yet, so yeah. <laughs> but yeah hopefully if anybody wants to check out my videos and stuff they're out there Mm -hmm. give them a like comment and subscribe and you know maybe you'll motivate me to get off my ass and get back to work (laughs) so and click
1: those ads people come on let's 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 get Jonathan over the hundred (laughs) dollar
0: mark yeah I don't think I'm allowed to tell people to click my ads but click my ads
1: (laughs) (laughs) what are they gonna do take away your one cent
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's, uh, they, they don't have enough money on me to give it, having the real leverage yet, so whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, anyways, we'll, um, we'll have a great night there, Bob, and, um, yeah, look forward to hearing the podcast, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I hope everybody is having a great time in America. And, um, yeah, watch the videos I recommend, read the story I recommended, uh, you know, play the video games I recommend, and, uh, Vote. Don't vote vote for Trump. Vote for somebody or anybody else, basically. Yep. Don't don't vote for Gary Johnson either. The guy, he doesn't know where Aleppo is. Come on. He doesn't know what Aleppo is. (laughs) Not just where. What's Aleppo? You're kidding. No, I'm not. (laughs) What's Aleppo? (laughs) Morning, Joe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. That was not an encouraging sign. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I don't usually, like, I enjoy watching Morning Joe as kind of a guilty pleasure. I think Morning Joe, is he's a smarmy guy. He's somewhat reasonable on politics, but I think just beneath the surface, he's a diehard Republican maniac, but he treats Mika Brzezinski, he treats her just horrible. And uh, so I don't usually go to that show expecting Mike Barnacle to break any kind of news, but that day he did. More power to Mike Barnacle. <laughs> Is there any show you
1: watch that you don't hate watch?
0: <laughs> mm, uh, Mr Robot's pretty good these days you i mean okay, season one of Mr. Robot was outstanding, yeah,
1: everyone uh, says they don't like season, season two.
0: I've, I sort of hate watching yeah yeah they they're kind of like I think they're playing too many games with the audience and' lying to the audience i think I think you can have an unreliable narrator and lie to the audience a little bit. But I think the degree to which they've done that in season two is just unreasonable. I think that, yeah. So I'm really hoping they have a return to form in season three. But it's a it's a good show. Season one, my mom told me to watch it. And I it was like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll watch it someday, whatever. And I didn't really, I was mad at my mom because I was like, okay, mom, you told me to watch it. But you didn't tell me, Jonathan, you need to watch this. This is really good. Because like, when I watched season one, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a really, really smart clever, well-shot, well-acted, well, shot, well, well acted, great soundtrack show. And uh, it has a lot of tie-ins and parallels, I think, to the video game um, Watch Dogs. Hmm. So Watch Dogs is a game set in Chicago where you're a hacker. And so it's, uh, it's an interesting game. Not a perfect game, but a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anyways, yeah, anyways, I better, I better wrap it up. <laughs> but yeah, definitely like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of talk about media. We have a lot of talk about media. Here this mm-hmm.
1: well, I'm glad we did it because, you know, we're going to have to get right into it with the debates when they start happening. So I just wanted one without that, you oh,
0: know? Yeah. 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 Well, we, we drudged through the dreary of, the dreary of politics these days and yeah, <laughs> then we got into something a little bit more fun maybe, but yeah. I'm sure after the debates, we're going to have plenty to talk to. And I think the good thing about after the debates is that it'll be fresh in our mind and it'll be, you know, a concise list of topics that we can address.
1: Yeah, I'm with it. I think that'll go well. Cool. I'm excited. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Yep. Cool. Talk to you soon. Bye.